Mo Facts with Adam Curry for February 5th, 2020. This is episode number 24. Oh, I am so happy I recorded this earlier in my basement. What a great track. Hey, Mo. <laughs> How you doing, Adam? I'm doing good, man. How are you? I am doing well. Yeah. Shoo, man. This is, uh, of course, the podcast sometimes known as That ADOS Podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> only in certain circles. Uh, and we're, uh, I guess we're a day later than we had hoped, and uh, apologies, but it's always going to be worth it because we have, uh, I'm sure, a dynamite show lined up for you. Not that I actually know exactly what we're going to do, um, but I do have a few things to follow up on, or just a couple things to ask and want to follow up on from our last show, Mo. Okay. Uh, first um, of all, um, Super Bowl, I know you're a big football guy. This is the only, uh, the only, uh, Football game I really will definitely watch. Uh-huh. Uh, I'll just tell you briefly, I felt uh, the television production was very kind of sparse and flat. I didn't see all the typical flying stuff and the stats and, you know, just, I don't know, it seemed like pretty sparse. Um, but what I missed was a lot of hype about, I think, what would have been the third black quarterback to win the Super Bowl. Did I Was that underplayed this year because he's like half black or what was going on? Yeah, uh, if you notice, they don't uh, put him in the black quarterback conversation. Uh, we've seen this before. I mentioned this before in the Colin Kaepernick uh, episode that they treated him the same way. They didn't mention that he was uh, a black. Right. Until until it mattered. Threw me, it, right, that's what threw me about him because I was like, eh, he could be, maybe. Uh, <laughs> right. But, uh, but yeah, you see the same thing with uh, my homeboy. Yeah. As well. So, okay. Because I, I found, I think, one article, but it wasn't even like a, uh, you know, a massive M5M publication. I was just mm-hmm. like, yeah, that's kind of odd. Because I looked him up because, yeah, I, 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 first of all, I need to know how to pronounce his name. You know, me, Mr. <laughs> Sports Guy. Mm-hmm. So... Then I figure that out and I say, wait a minute. So his dad was this and, you know, they're all major league baseball players. And then, you know, finally I found an article, you know, his dad's black, his mom's white. And it's like, okay, well, where's the hype? Nothing. I was just thought that was weird. This is the test textbook uh, example of being racially ambiguous. Yeah, uh, I've used that term before. And, it, and this is no slight against him personally. No, but but the corporation that the NFL is. I think it's a conscious. Oh, you do. Uh, I think it's I, I conscious so. decision. I believe. Yeah. So. I mean, because when when you juxtapose that to Levar uh, uh, Jackson, a real ADOS black quarterback. Hold on, now I he, now I got to go to Google. Uh, okay, <laughs> Levar Jackson. Yeah, Lamar. <laughs> I can hear half people going. Oh, oh Lamar. Okay, gotcha. Lamar Jackson. Yeah. All right. And they're the two. Oh, the best two player, yeah, they're the best two players in the NFL now. Because Lamar even won the MVP. I'm I, 99% well, sure he won the MVP. But, well, Mahomes won v- MVP. Yeah, last year. That's what I'm saying. It's, oh, it's weird. It's so oh, weird. Oh, gotcha. Uh, you have these two men that are technically both are black, but how <laughs> the story now, is. Are they both ADOS? Yeah, I believe I believe Mahomes' father is a, a Ados, so okay. that makes him Ados, and, yeah. and Jackson's parents are Ados as well. So, but yeah, I'm just saying the way the script isn't, is isn't, written, isn't that interesting, right? Isn't that interesting? Because yeah. I hadn't heard anything about it, and I'm like, maybe he's 
you know, more Latinx or something. I don't, that's why I went on a on a quest to go figure it out. And it's like, well, this is odd. All right, so that's their script. Okay, I get everyone's fine. But by the way, I love the way uh, Mahomes plays. It's fantastic, and he's what like eight years old. He yeah, he's un- like twenty-two, twenty-three. Unbelievable. Yeah, he's, he's really young, really young. Mm. So, yeah. All right. The other thing I wanted to ask you about: mm-hmm. um, Trump's State of the Union, uh, which now I was going to ask you this last night. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, we're trying to try and do it after the State of the Union, and, I, and I'm, I'm glad that we waited because I think that there um, there was a very obvious to me, very clear message towards Black Americans. Wait, 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 wait! Can, can we go back for a minute to the Super Bowl? Because <laughs> it, it's, sure. it's going to feed in. No, it's going to feed into uh, this. Okay, you're talking about the Tuskegee Airmen? No, no, no. Because he appeared. The he first- appeared at both. The first break, uh, the super, uh, ad break for the Super oh, Bowl. Oh, yes, Trump's ad. You're right. Of course. What am I thinking? What a transition. I should have done that myself. Nice. You take <laughs> That's over. That's why we're partners. Yeah. That's why we're partners. That's why there's two of us, but, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. So I'm sitting there watching the game, and then I see it. I'm like, uh-oh. He did it. He has the uh, uh, prison reform commercial yes, yes exactly and it's in the first ad block which is so, a good one. i mean which is the prime spot i think it was like second commercial yeah, in the first block in yeah so that's like the per- like the perfect spot and it's like targeted right at the black voter now i'll turn it back over to you <laughs> well uh okay so that was going to be my question is mm-hmm. uh what'd you think of the spot pandering did it hit was it on target what was your what was your thinking i saw a tweet today and it was from i think um uh breitbart uh-huh on van jones and i think yes, van jones van G, yeah. quoted is saying look out trump is doing something for real black people <laughs> yeah just <laughs> ados is now real black people <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think he meant ADOS specifically, but he means pe- black people that you can relate to. Oh, when you look at the guy that when you look at the guy from Ohio mm-hmm. that got cleaned up off the drugs and you're saying got a right, going. Right, right, right. You're talking about the State of the Union now. Yes, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going. Yeah, back going and back and forth. forth. That's you, fine. That's fine. When you, when you look at the lady in the criminal justice ad, these people could be your aunt or your uncle. I mean, they're not these crafted super black people (laughs) stop (laughs) okay help me identify super black okay what i mean is they didn't come up through ivy league schools Uh, or right 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 or uh uh, super intellectual or cory booker i wouldn't even say him uh i would say like the pundits that you see on uh CNN or MSNBC, they're not relatable. Ah, okay. Gotcha. When you see them, it's like, oh, oh yeah, that could be my uncle. That could be my aunt. That could be my the little girl that he had uh, for the school choice. Yeah, that could be my little niece. Mm-hmm. That could be, you know, these are real black people. Yeah. And I, and when I saw that ad, I, I mean, I saw the article um, title. I didn't get a chance to read the article, but I'm guilty of reading headlines. I just didn't have time today to get to it, but I was like, yeah, they are real people. All right. So what did you think of oh, now? Did, who did you watch the Super Bowl with? Did, did you talk about it when you saw the ad? <clears throat> yeah, uh, actually, me and my mother-in-law. <laughs> wow. She, she's probably the biggest Hillary hater. Oh, 
<laughs> is she a, is she a Trump lover or not uh, not care? Oh, I would say that she appreciates his honesty. Oh wow! And and, and not the truth, but his honesty. <laughs> oh, he is who he is, kind of way. Exactly. Exactly. Uh huh. Uh-huh. So me and her have these conversations, uh, but yeah, she she couldn't stand Hillary. Uh, hmm. Especially when she found out she threw a Bible or allegedly threw a Bible, that was that was that was ooh, that, that's that bad. was raps. That was a so, raps. Did, so what did she think of the of the ad? It 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 hit with her. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, her kind of look. We you know, like you see that. I, I was just blown back that he actually ran a political ad during the Super Bowl. But I understood it though. Right. I understood exactly what he was doing. All right. So uh, there was a lot of similar type messaging in the State of the Union. Uh, I I personally from a a television executive standpoint, it's like, yes, totally nailed it. You've got, you know, you're connecting a, a personal story to each and every one of your outcomes. It's like, mm-hmm. yes, this was incredibly good, but it was a lot of, a lot of black and brown faces. He Intentionally the, so. Uh, he had the redemption story, like I said, with the guy from Ohio, cleaned yep. himself up with the opportunity he zones. Had the, uh, he had the single mother... Uh, uh, HBCU mother crowd with the oh yeah he hit that one yeah he hit that one right uh, off the bat yeah I mean it was kind of like like wow like you're really going after convincing black people that you're not bad for them mm-hmm. that's, oh, the interesting that's, perspective that, that was my takeaway that uh-huh. was my takeaway and this contributes to my uh uh theory of the negative vote. Right, which which you know, and I am of course preaching this everywhere because you know you've run you've run the numbers with me, and he doesn't really have to uh, chip away at that much. And I think Van Jones in that very same piece that you referenced mm-hmm. uh, specifically mentioned you know black men. Yes, and so uh, th- there may be an appeal there. So, I, and like I said, just. Things ain't been bad for the his, his argument is things haven't been bad for you, especially it's not as bad as they said it was going to be for you the last four years. So you just let me finish up here. And it's, it's going to work out for you. That, that was my takeaway from the whole convincing whole. Uh, anything on black Twitter. I think the silence you had to. Re- we have to look at the silence. We have to look at negative, the negative or the missing, the lack of. And okay. it wasn't like, oh yeah, a lot of hate. I didn't see a lot of hate for the um, for the uh, State of the Union. Right. Uh, no more than I mean, like than usual. Right. But, but right, it was right. like one point. Oh, look at Trump pandering. I, that's one word I didn't hear that he was pandering. I didn't. I, that, that didn't come across my uh, timeline. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Well, good. Thank you. Thank you for. Uh... Thank you for um, giving me your your thoughts on that. I just you know because obviously well, I'm sitting there thinking all I can think of is fuck. What does Mo think of this? <laughs> I didn't give well, a shit. Like what this said. This sounds sounds like he's doing something good here. I don't know. I don't, nothing is really well. Maybe the, the historically black, black colleges and universities that that could be considered some form of a tangible thing. Uh, but you know this, this, the word reparations will never come up with Trump. And I'm glad you. You walk me into a perfect segue because if the ads won't work and the um, presenting your case to the American public won't work, specifically the the black American public, then maybe clip number one will work. 
Hey, can you be bought and sold? Yeah, can you? Well, that's what's going down. Uh, remember that pastor, that guy, I think his name is uh, Pastor Scott in Cleveland, mm-hmm. uh, the big Trump supporter. Um, basically, it's just been like riding for Trump for a long time. Well, they've got this like coalition with what they're doing is they're holding events for black po- black folks and they're giving them money, asking oh, yeah. them to vote for <laughs> Donald Trump. And it's working. It's It's kind of sad because they're giving people that really are not going to do the research. And some of them, I hate to say it, are low information voters, one issue voters. <laughs> I saw this. Um, I saw that you replied to a tweet about it and went, looks pretty tangible to me or something like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I'm, I wasn't sure how much sarcasm was in there, but uh, I think it was exactly the way you intended it. At least I know n- knowing you, I thought that was pretty it, it, funny. So this stems from a political article. Uh, Trump, uh, what is it? Trump give uh, cash cash giveaway for black voters. Yeah, that was the headline. Uh, so I'm they're sure. saying uh, allies of Donald Trump have begun holding events in black communities. And we spoke about these events yep. uh, in a previous show. Uh, and it says where organizers lavish praise on the president as they hand out tens of thousands of dollars to lucky attendees. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> so now when Andrew Yang was giving money away to no that's math brother that's just math that's just math but now it's (laughs) all these people are low information uh dummies uh, dummies so let me explain to who was speaking that was russ parr are you familiar with russ parr no he's kind of like a knockoff um charlamagne uh, no no your guy uh, oh uh tom joiner Tom Joyner. He's kind of like a knockoff Tom Joyner. Okay. Uh, but except he has he has a job still. Is he getting paid, though? Because if Tom <laughs> Joyner's not getting paid... <laughs> no, Tom Joyner's done, isn't he? Didn't he? Yeah, because he was saying he was basically working for free those last couple of years, so I... You'd be you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised how shit radio has gotten. I'm talking like 12 bucks an hour at Sirius XM, believe me. Right. So he calls people like uh, these people that's taking the cash, low information voters, and they're basically being duped. Mm -hmm. But I want to give you an example of the kind of (laughs) commercials that he plays on his show. Uh, We fix money. If you need $640 or $850 up to $2,500, just go to wefixmoney.com and get the money you need as soon as tomorrow. WeFixMoney.com is free to use and available 24-7, and you don't need perfect credit. Go to WeFixMoney.com right now, and we'll guarantee that in two minutes, you'll find out if you're approved for a loan of up to $2,500, money you could get by tomorrow. Go to WeFixMoney.com. Mo, uh, yes. 1980s Saturday Night Live, Eddie Murphy. Mm-hmm. A little bit more of the Eddie Murphy voice. Come on, we fix money. I mean, it's almost a parody of of what would have been done then about how crazy advertising will get. And this we fix money is a known predatory lender. Well, no this shit. is a payday. These are these payday. are payday. Oh moments. yeah, totally. So you're make you're willing to serve your audience up to predatory lenders, but then you talk down on people <laughs> for taking cash for monetizing their vote. Which I'm gonna tell you, explain. 
Okay, let me explain to people. What we're talking about now is just going to be a sub-segment. I mean, uh, just a sub-little section of the show, and then we'll get into the real show. But I was really so irked by this because these gatekeepers are pissed that basically voting is turning into some form of gig work. It's like, I don't need a big structure. You know, I'm going to take my cash straight to the people. Uh, give it to them, and then they'll go out and they'll perform uh, the task of voting. If the if these claims are true, I'm, right. and I'm looking at it from both sides, from the Yang side and the Trump side, put the money inside the people's hands. Um, and that's why I, I did say it tongue-in-cheek, this is something tangible, but yeah. it is. Yeah, it, if somebody's giving you $1,000 for your vote, uh, these these same probably the same people been talking they, about. Was it, I thought it money. was I thought it was like a hundred. Is it was it a thousand? Well, the the article says they're handing out ten. Of course, they're going to uh, embellish, uh-huh. and they said the article says they're handing uh, handing out tens of thousands of dollars to lucky attendees. Woo, so that could yeah. be the total sum could be tens of thousands of dollars. Right. But if I wasn't going to vote, or you're going to give me two, three, four hundred dollars to vote another way. Hey, that's just, that's <laughs> more hey. I might see for four. Yeah, uh, uh, right. I'm not knocking you. No, I'm not. No. My, hey, it's tangible. Of course, uh, I'm down with that. It's ta- you're right. So, uh, but let's get back to Mr. Russ Parr and his just nasty talking, down talking to black people. Donald Trump gave me money. I don't care about kids in cages. I don't care about asshole nations. I I don't care that he's lining the pockets of all his rich friends. I don't care all these policies hurt me. Oh, yeah, he's let a couple people out of jail. Yeah, prison reform, that's great. But you don't want to be a one-issue voter, y'all. You just don't want to do that. But now you can be bought? Is, is, Is that easy now? So this guy, Minister Scott, they're going around to Cleveland and other places, and they're saying, okay, I'm going to give you a couple hundred bucks. All you got to do is say, yes, I'll vote for Donald Trump because he's done so much for black people. Yeah, well, this is, I mean, this guy is clearly, it's obvious what his position is and what movie he watches. So how did kids in cages help black people? How did come I mean, Because he said we're one issue voters. If you're taking the money, you know these, you know these things are hurting you. Uh, kids in cages. That's immigration. And I'm not saying I don't condone placing children in cages. But what I'm saying is this, the topic behind the mm-hmm. the talking point: immigration. Yeah. Uh, shithole nations. Immigration. Uh, you know, you you becoming a one topic. We've been a one topic vote. I mean, a voting uh, block for forever, for forty years. Yeah. Oh now, oh now, oh now! All of a sudden, you know say you get your senses together. You know why? Because he's being cut out the picture. If the cash goes straight to the people, gatekeepers have no purpose anymore. Well, of course, but it's—I don't even know if he sees it that way. What? Uh, where does this air? What network is this? Uh, syndicated. He's syndicated. Yeah, uh-huh. he's syndicated. So he's across. Uh, I mean, I lived in Durham, North Carolina, and I lived here in Northern Virginia, and he's on stations in both areas right. After, and, afternoon show morning show what no morning show. morning show morning this is all morning mm-hmm. um but yeah he's like oh it's, it's harmful to the you know, community and yeah. um and this next clip is really gonna irk me some people in his administration has referred to them as coloreds there are good coloreds and there's some bad coloreds but listen <laughs> y'all you've, you've got to be informed you can't well i can't tell you what to do but don't take that money you're selling out you can be bought. 
We have to have some personal integrity. We have to do the research to find out what he stands for and what he doesn't stand for. The man could care less unless your name is Diamond, Diamond and Silk or maybe that Pastor Scott and maybe Armstrong Williams. I don't know. But he's got a few people. Herman Cain, you know, used to 999. Yeah, he started another organization. I think it's called Black Voices for Trump. And they're doing the same thing. They're going around and they're buying votes. Okay, what what, so, what irks you? Colored people, you're offended by that, but the Democrats call you people of color all day long. Can, can I just which, can I just say something? But I know you're I'm mad. Sorry. I know you're mad. I'm sorry, but I'm ranting. I'm sorry. No, I'm I got sorry. a bone to pick. <laughs> yes. Since the last show, <laughs> I cannot stop hearing people of color. I hear this everywhere, and it's and I'm seeing the you know like the former. Uh, campaign PR for Hillary Clinton. Maxwell is her name. She mm-hmm. got she got the uh, OG hair. I mean, mm-hmm. beautiful woman. But she's like uh, she keeps saying people of color, people, of color. and and of course, what after you programmed me and everybody else, <laughs> all I hear is color people. I'm like, holy crap! And then I hear, and of course, we got the we got a lot of uh, um, we got a lot of colored people on tv lately we got the uh who's the the rnc the former rnc chair and you know just a lot of a lot of people walking around and, and i hear it all the time now and i think yes is it just mo can't be. <laughs> no it can't be it can't be how'd you like to go back to the super bowl how'd you like that people of color uh halftime show uh, was, I mean that, that was I got a that whole was heavy on the brown and light on the black. Yeah, I, mean, I got this, I got yeah honest. I got a whole I got a whole bone to pick with that. Um, but, but yes, I, I digress. So I'm just saying, but just yeah. You know, it, you know, I was thinking people. this could actually be the 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 first podcast I've ever participated in where we're going to come up with the exit strategy early on. Because <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, soon we'll have. Um, uh, f- facial recognition technology for everybody. I mean, it's coming. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of, you know, who's who's going to pay for it because it does take some processing on the back end. Um, but everyone's so available and scannable it's, that we'll be able to have an app. I'm going to call it the ADOS app. And mm-hmm. uh, you basically just point the, your phone at somebody and and they'll say ADOS or non-ADOS. Because this is what I'm missing. When I hear ADOS, clearly ADOS people saying people of color i'm just i'm confused but maybe That's it's just the the, it's just the setting it's working, that they're in. <laughs> it's working. oh no they've got me, Which, me and, and, so me and uh john dvorak uh the john dvorak had a little uh dm okay. uh, and basically i told him that people of color equals non-white which equals not important <laughs> And he agreed. Yeah, I'm, I mean, sure, I'm sure he agrees. Because it's like he likes like, he likes saying the blacks. That's his. Uh, yeah, let's just lump them all together, like in this nice little ball that's manageable, and that there you go. But Mister mm-hmm. uh, Russ Parr has a problem with color people, or and he I'm sure he uses the term people of color. But let's listen to how he uh, portrays Asian American people. <laughs> It's about time we get to get to have a month for us. Oh, well, good. Yeah. Congrats. Because uh, you guys are celebrated all year. You guys. Every month. That's why you black men talk about. 
Obviously, yes, it's a reoccurring uh, character, character Mei Ling, mm-hmm. that works in a nail shop. Uh, yeah, but you see, yeah, you know, <laughs> I, now I got to tell you, we're only ten years apart or so. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is—I come from the time on the radio where we had these characters. You had you had the crazy, the kind crazy Chinese guy. You had the you know, cause I worked in New York radio. You know, you mm-hmm. had the guy from Harlem. You'd have Mr. Leonard, who was in, from Mars, you know, so and all these. And it was and I, I'm talking about late 80s, 90s. And everyone seemed kind of to laugh about themselves. That went away. So it's hard for me. I can't get mad at this. I'm like, all right. You know, it's there were some funny pieces of it, but eh. I'm not mad about it. I'm saying the hypocrisy. Oh, sure. You know, if if this was on a, another show that lacked melanin, uh, I'm, it'll be you know forced to uh, they were trying to uh, cancel their uh, yes. advertisers. Of course, yes, you're right. And, you're right. And not only this, but he also portrays black people in a very negative way on the majority of his show. I was very irked by this show. Period. Uh, <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> just, yeah, I mean, this guy really irks. But I, I'm, I'm gonna wrap this up soon. I'm. Let's just get into uh, clip number four. Some pastors were paid years ago to take money to influence their congregation to vote for George W. Bush. And they did. And there's it's been proven. That's what they've done, because a lot of y'all just listen to your pastors, you know, and say, like, I'm going to fall you like sheep. It's okay to take this money, even though I'm going to hurt some people. Yeah, you have a little personal gain for a moment, but the long-term effects, so many people are damaged by it. We have to have a mind of our own. I'm not telling you not to vote for Donald Trump, but if you do your research, you find out that he does not have your best interests in mind. He doesn't. It's simple. That's just my opinion. Uh, you know, we're not monolithic where we all vote the same. Was it your opinion or fact, bro? <laughs> but at least have an informed decision as to whose money you're going to take in order to be bribed. And I don't know how legal that is, but I guess they'll figure a way around it because the president's above the law. <laughs> we'll see it every <laughs> this day. This guy's Mr. Talking Point. And nobody wants to hold him accountable. But you can in November 2020. Yes, this year. You can hold him accountable. Woo! You can vote. That's my rant. That's his rant. Yeah. Oh, please. This guy, is, besides, you know, I, I mean, I don't know if he's really influential, but as a broadcaster, he's mediocre. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's just repeating. I mean, I could do a show like that. I can do a minute of talking points. and then He's you know, a great value, uh, Tom Joyner. Oh, brother. Uh, that, uh, that's what he is. But it, mm-hmm. it's just that. I'm not telling you to not to vote for Trump, and we're not a monolith. Since when? Right. 
since when have we not been a monolith when it comes to voting? Mo, run the numbers for me again. What okay. percentage of, and I'll say the black vote, because that's what mm-hmm. they're kind of using, um, does not have to vote Democrat for basically to be all over for a, a Democratic a Democrat candidate? Well, 2012, it was 67% turnout of the black vote. 67. When Trump, yeah, when Trump won in 2016, uh, it was uh, down to 59%. Right. It's very If it stays at 59 or drops even lower, you can't make those votes up. You can't make them up. I think you were saying that really is a matter of maybe five points. Yeah, I mean, if it just stays at 59, they need they need it to be around 65, 67% to have a chance to win. That's why they lost in 2016, and that's what they don't really want to talk about. But this is why everything is people of color, people of color, people of color. You know, uh, oh, yeah, think, we'll have I a think talk every about can, I think every can, I watched the Iowa caucuses very closely. I wanted to understand it and. And I'm glad I did because it became super entertaining, <laughs> certainly to watch broadcasters struggle for hours on end to fill time. I think I heard at least three candidates all use the people of color term. Mm-hmm. And then uh, subsequently, of course, I heard everywhere else that actually the caucuses are completely racist because only white people can come out on a Monday night and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, only black people <laughs> babysit for the white people who can go out on Monday night. It's like, oh, OK, fine, whatever. Like not I was like 90 some percent white. Yeah, of course. So yes. where, what do you expect? Black swing vote that was going to really uh, shake things up. And out. I mean, and we, we even covered this in the last show because that, that's exactly where uh, they had the. The People of Color Summit, or yeah. whatever it was called, for Vice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so knock it off. Uh, so, well, last, let's yeah, piss last, me off some more. Let's do uh, do the last. Okay. <laughs> so this rant is from another rant of his, and it's a convo with a Trump supporter. All right, this this following um, uh, statements that I'm about to make are not uh, applicable to all white folks or other groups that may see their entitlement slipping away. But I was on a flight and I was wearing my Make America Barack Again uh, hat. (laughs) The guy asked me what it was all about and was talking about it's about a better time and you can order it on uptopar.net. And this guy got, I could see that he was getting a little irritated because obviously he is not a Barack Obama fan. Which well, I'm, I'm cool with it. But uh, it was an intriguing conversation that we started to have. I mean, he got comfortable and very candid with a glass of wine. And he, he said a lot of things. And his his ideology was like a white nationalist. I said, God, this guy doesn't even know that he's a white nationalist. You know, he's a, he's putting all that out there. And I'm sitting there going, man. But what he said in so many words, he says that Trump has made them realize that most whites are being discriminated against in America in favor of minorities. So, first so, of all, this was no low, yeah. low inc- no uh, information uh, voter because clearly they're sitting in first class drinking a nice glass of wine. Right. So I'm going to take that with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so this leads us into the real topic of the show. And the topic of the show is what happens 
allegedly when a white person uh attempts to defend their perceived privilege that they have oh nice this is about me hold on a second let's roll it round and round and round ladies and gentlemen the wheel of topics mo facts with adam curry and we stop today on the lucky topic that is today we're going to talk about the concept of white fragility (laughs) white that's the term white fragility yes White guilt is easier to remember. Fragility, what, three what, syllables. Wait, hmm. wait, 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 wait. They're they're not the same. No, I know, I know they're not. Okay, I, so just, I got a lot I'm to learn. For the, yeah, for the uh, <laughs> have you heard this term before? No, no, because I have not. I have not. This is new to me. I found this maybe several weeks ago, and I like tucked it away. I was like, I got to look into whatever this white fragility is because <laughs> it sounds bookmark- pretty one of those bookmarks right <laughs> it's like is that even snowflakeier than snowflake if you're white it, and, f- and you're fragile yeah it's it's an aggressive fragile oh. <laughs> if, it's a, if it's a such thing okay but uh what we have here is uh miss um uh D'Angelo. Her name is who came up with the term? Her name is Robin J. D'Angelo. And she has a PhD in multi, multi multicultural education, of course. Uh and in a 2011 academic paper, she put forward the concept of white fragility. So this is a somewhat new term. I'm going to welcome in Robin D'Angelo. She's a sociologist, uh, American sociologist and author, whose book is here. It's called White uh, Fragility. Um, Robin, explain what is white fragility? Well, social life is patterned and predictable in observable and describable ways. And racial inequality is a very consistent pattern. And so is uh, the overall white response to it or to when that issue is raised. So what I'm doing is describing one particular common white pattern and offering an explanation not only for how we come to have that pattern but also how it functions so the pattern is the defensiveness uh, at any suggestion that racial inequality exists and that each of us is a part of it hmm and that that's the the only way you can define that huh so it has to be it has to be all all of the above yes hmm. so so basically how it works is if I say, hey, Adam, you have white privilege. You say, no, I don't. And then, you, and then I say, well, you have white privilege and white fragility. Wow. <laughs> I, I remember the first time I was uh, called out as having white privilege and it was mm-hmm. at a dinner party. And it's um, it's going to be four and a half years ago, maybe. And it was mm-hmm. a professor who I respect from the University of Texas. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I'd never really heard the term. And I certainly had never been accused of, oh, and they literally like, you have white privilege. So what? So what are you talking about? You have white privilege. You can't deny that. And it, I, I was, it was really uncomfortable. Uh, and so I guess that's, I would have been, I would have had white fragility there. That pushback that you gave, I'm sure after you left, it's like, how about Curry and his white fragility? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wish they had said that to me then, so I could have known I was violating not one but two principles of nature. 
Yes. So what we're going to do here is we're going to examine this term. Mm -hmm. This woman Uh, is white. This Robin D'Angelo. Yes. Yes. She's she's a white lady. Um, Okay. And she coined the term and then later wrote a book about the term, which I think this these terms, these. uh, Well, that's how you get one. You know, you write a book about it and say, oh, there's this term. I made it up. Yeah, so we're gonna under, we're gonna look at how it came about, what it is. We're gonna look at a counter argument against it, and then how it's determined a person that has white fragility or not. So, and will this uh, will this episode also give me the tools so that I can defend myself against not just falling into the white fragility trap, but against white fragility in general? Curry goggles. <laughs> gotcha. I'm sorry. I'll shut up. <laughs> All right, so let's get to uh, the second part of that clip. The term fragility is meant to capture how little it takes to set us off. For many white people, the mere suggestion that being white has meaning will cause great umbrage. Generalizing about white people will cause great upset and umbrage. But the impact of that umbrage is not fragile at all. It functions as a very powerful way to repel the challenge and to protect the racial hierarchy. Um. I like this episode because I I get to think a lot harder about myself. I agree with a lot of what she said in the the beginning of that clip, but at the end, Mm -hmm. this protect the white hierarchy? No, fuck no. Not for a second. I don't give a shit about that. I I remember being accused of of white privilege for the first time, so it's in my mind, and I I did not think of, oh, I have to protect the hierarchy. (laughs) None of that. So that's (laughs) not with me, at least. I'm not your typical white guy, but uh, no. that's why I wanted with this show to bounce this idea off. And this is typically these terms are bounced between two white people. Yeah, yeah, totally. Totally. I have, obviously I've never heard this term, so I can't use it. And I've never heard a person of, uh, any color. Whoa. Uh, you were going there. Yes. You stopped yourself in time, but you, you know, I was going to say a person, and I was going to say, because I was thinking about not just black people. I have never heard, because I mean, I work with a bunch of different ethnicities. Mm-hmm. I haven't heard, uh, correction, a colored person uh, <laughs> <laughs> use that term. So it's like, hey, man. where'd this come from? I'm, I, I read. I mean, Why don't you be I'm, like par and just call them coloreds? Come on, man. You can do that. Yeah. yeah. So I'm in, I'm in the loop. I, and I've never heard it. When I heard it, I was like, holy crap. What What is this term that she just used? I That's mean, it, right. it wasn't even her. It was, uh, I forgot where I heard it. And I heard it in another clip. It was like a pundit talking or whatever. Hmm. So I jotted it down. I was oh, like, I'm sure it's out there. I'm this. sure that this, I, I'm sure it's out there. I'm sure people are talking about it. But Absolutely. this goes back to the real black people or the real people mm-hmm. and gen- real whatever fill in the blank person that's non-white right we don't use terms like this no this is stuff that's circled around you know into in uh the upper crust academia society and it's like uh you know uh, contemplating uh, my white fragility and uh, you know i just really need to do more to give back to the you know right well community yeah i think i think these types of terms and concepts i think hurt everybody i don't think it's good i don't think it has any positive awareness is always good i think a mm-hmm. lot of people are you know oh this person's racist or what you know ignorance is uh 
it, I've discovered through, you know, just my friendship with you, that's ignorance. I just didn't know. You know, so there's a lot of things that may come across as racist, but purely ignorance. I think there's got to mm-hmm. be some something in your heart or soul's got to be there for it to truly be racist. And then, so you get these kind of compensation terms. So let's just revisit my definition of racism, which is just a form of nepotism. That's that's how I see racism. So if you say, Adam, you know, you got your job because your dad's the CEO of the company. Of course, you're going to rebut that and be like, what? I work hard for where, you know, I work hard for whatever position I have in this company. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just because my dad gave it to me. So that would be like a form of not white fragility, but that was like nepotism fragility. Cause it's like, <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. Cause it's like you're ta- you're invalidating all, uh, all the work I've done and just saying simply because of what I am and not who I am. I got the spot. Right. And it's, it's purely an assumption. Right. So that's, I can understand the pushback, but it's like a trap. Yeah. Because when, when you say somebody has a privilege. Yeah. And then you say, no, I don't. Gonna... <laughs> like, boom. Oh, yeah. I nailed him. Oh, shit. I fell right. into that one. It's like a Lucy in the football twice. It's a twofer. It's like, yeah, you, <laughs> yeah, privilege and fragility. fragility. Yeah. Boom, so, boom. Yeah. yeah. Left and a hook. <laughs> Which is a perfect trap. I mean, if that's what you set it up to be. Totally. Uh, so let's get into the uh, third and final clip of this uh, segment. In your research, and I read the first few chapters of White Fragility, not all of it, do you think most white people are racist without realizing it? Yes. I don't think it's possible to avoid absorbing uh, racist worldview and racist biases because they are circulating 24-7 in the culture. They're in the language. They're in the institutions. They're in the media and the film. Uh, They're in the overwhelmingly white teaching force and curriculum and the, the centering of a white worldview, but positioning it as a universal human worldview ash hmm. yeah so what what word she had missing from there is white supremacy <laughs> and that makes people recall because it's like uh, well, i am not a white supremacy denier right i believe it exists but just like racism I think people don't understand these terms that they use and they use them incorrectly and it does nobody any uh, any good to throw these terms around because it really like weakens the term. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, definitely. I want to go back to a throwback clip just so we can define uh, define what exactly white supremacy is. Well, we are on the system of white supremacy. That's the most powerful government that the world has ever seen, and that's the title of it, by the way. It doesn't go by any other title, even though we sometimes call it by other titles. But the accurate title for the government that we are under is, in capital letters, the system of white supremacy worldwide. It's just one world government. And that's the only government in town, the only government on the planet that really counts, that is worthy of having the title of government. Yeah, I love this clip. Uh, it's a, I think it's a, a true MoFax classic. I'm, great. I'm glad you brought that back again. That was a fuller, right? Yes. So when we talk about this thing, I want to make sure we use the correct definition. Uh, some people call it the Illuminati. Some people call it, you know... 
another a new world uh, order is uh, he said new, it, world, new world order, order that's another one liberal world but, order yep so but what these uh secret societies or whatever you want to call them are based off of are really bloodlines correct yep so i think we define whiteness wrong and we don't understand the origins of race no, excellent point. So I have Miss Danielle Bainbridge uh, from PBS, and she's going to give us some history on the origins of uh, race in the U.S. But these racial categorizations didn't always neatly align with skin tone. In his book, Whiteness of a Different Color, European Immigrants and the Alchemy of Race, historian Matthew Jacobson notes that in the U.S., white or Caucasian was not always considered a unified race composed of anyone of European descent. Whiteness was often considered exclusive to Anglo-Saxon descendants, while other European groups were broken into different ethnic categories, such as Celt, Slavs, Iberics, and Hebrews, which were considered separate races from the 1840s to the early 20th century. But in the 1920s, when there was a stemming of immigration from Europe, these different races were subsumed into one category called whiteness to shore up a cultural majority against other racial groups and immigrants. And this persisted throughout the 20th century. So how does it all add up? Well, race started as a marker of kinship, but then we see it shift to become less about familial inheritance and more focused on physical indicators due to the rise of enlightenment reasoning and labor exploitation but where does that leave us today yeah this reminds me i want you to, to delve into that this reminds me of a story uh which uh, that barack obama uh through bloodlines is related to george w bush mm-hmm. <laughs> which which technically he is passing for white or could pass for white Yes. I mean, we want to use the term of passing. And it's a couple of things she said in that clip. One, she said whiteness or the term white was created to shore up a racial majority. Mm-hmm. Doesn't that sound eerily similar to what we're going through now with colored people? <laughs> You're killing me, Mo. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Of course, this is this is beautiful, beautiful. And so then you have people wanting to pass into whiteness. Whiteness, yes. As we we, we talked about talked about before, it wasn't about my origin or my well, bloodlines. This, is, this or, is interesting because going back to what um, what's her face said, uh, Robin D'Angelo, mm-hmm. um, she said protecting the hierarchy. Well, I can see where she may have a point there if you're talking about bloodline hierarchy. But, of course, that doesn't make me white then, because I don't have the bloodline hierarchy. But once you were lumped into that racial majority. Yeah, well, then, yeah. It, it allows you certain privileges to be to move without being accosted. or where, if We're talking about right after slavery or during slavery. We're not talking about now. Yeah. So if you appear and, and a lot of black, uh, black people that passed, uh, Jagger Hoover, you know, he was allowed to move. If he was seen as a black man, he was doing what he was doing as far as spying on people. And he wouldn't have got that far. <laughs> no, not certainly so not in the he, day. No. So he took advantage of passing to to take advantage of that privilege. Right. But it's 
it's a it's a very fluid thing and when we say white they don't most people don't even understand what that means it means that you're part of a a superior class and the closest thing that we have to white nowadays is still um that still exists is the monarchy yeah and in great britain yep that that is literally white Yes. And even, uh, um, uh, you know who I'm talking about, Mexit, uh, Megan, uh, <laughs> Megan, Megan Markle, Markle mm-hmm. she couldn't pass to be white. Right. Even though she was appeared to be, I mean, if you didn't, you well, know, that, you know you that's, her, yeah, like, that's why she had to go. I mean, you had to get rid of her. Right. Or, or she couldn't. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> or she couldn't, she, she couldn't handle. She couldn't. She didn't pass the passing test. So you got to go. Because it wasn't about skin color. I mean, exactly. te- it, it may have on the, on the surface, maybe. But no, it was like you don't come from this. Right. You and, know, and then standing in life. Yeah. And then the queen went, hold on a second. That that redhead isn't one of ours either. Get him out. Both of them couldn't pass. Yeah, no way. <laughs> So that tell you, white is a very exclusive club. Uh, the tech, the real textbook technical. Right. And if you could do me a favor, could you play like the last 20, 30 seconds of clip number uh, 13 one more time? I just want to define what we're talking about when we say, when I say white. Okay, the last 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. Sure thing. Celt, Slavs, Iberics, and Hebrews, which were considered separate races from the 1840s to the early 20th century. But in the 1920s, when there was a stemming of immigration from Europe, these different races were subsumed into one category called whiteness to shore up a cultural majority against other racial groups and immigrants. Mm-hmm. And this persisted throughout the 20th century. So how does it all add up? Well, race started as a marker of kinship, but then we see it shift to become less about familial inheritance and more focused on physical indicators due to the rise of enlightenment reasoning and labor exploitation. But where does that leave us today? So when I say that term, I'm talking about familiar inheritance, Mm -hmm. which Barack Obama is, is by that definition, white. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And a Meghan Markle is not, not or not. or even a um, Prince Harry is not no. white. Correct. So, I mean, so I just want to lay things out. It's a it's so, a mi- it's a mind bender, but yeah, these are the two definitions. But this is exactly what happens over the ages. You know, it doesn't even take that long. The meanings change; they get kind of smoothed over. It becomes an acceptable term. Someone throws something out there; it sticks, and then before you know it, it's all changed. And that mean and words like- matter, man. Words matter. That's just like when you say black. Yeah. Black 30 years ago <laughs> meant something totally different. Yep. Than it meant that it means now. You have to have a uh but I I, I digress, but I just want to lay that out. So when we we talk about the term white, we 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 understand what we're saying and what pe- people have proximity to and trying to align themselves with. It's not it's not a pigment of your skin or a color of your skin that it's it's this power structure that people want to tap into. Uh, but one guy that always tells the truth is Mr. Dick Gregory. And I don't have to ask you if you <laughs> no, know of course who Mr. I, of Dick course Gregory I know. Is. Of course I, I love Dick Gregory, of course. <laughs> so me. Dick Gregory is gonna explain white supremacy versus white privilege. One of the things a lot of people were commenting on and after watching your videos, they want to know 
what your thoughts are the difference between white supremacy and white privilege? White supremacy? People that got white supremacy get killed by white supremacy. People got white privilege still have to go to the military. The big folks don't go. White supreme. They just break the word down. I'm white and I'm supreme. They didn't say supreme to niggas. Hmm. I'm supreme to anybody who ain't my blood. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's simple. It's a good question you ask. Mm -hmm. And thank God you shut up long enough to hear an answer. <laughs> Is that for, that's a, one of the, the last one, these YouTube video that I remember it's just when that first came out, people were like, what, man? Who is this guy? I'm like, yeah, that's Dick yeah, Gregory. Dick Gregory, he always beats up on the interviewer. I mean, that's, oh, that's yeah. like his, yeah, that's uh, his, stick. It's his, stick. his trademark. Yeah. It's, like, it's like, so, but as he said, it's about bloodline. They, ha they have no pity of sending poor, quote unquote, and I'm going to use this term because I use it for blacks, quote unquote, white people to go die for whatever reason. You know, I mean, they just, whatever. It's like, right. it's, it furthers, you know, I won't send my son a dark. Some do, but majority, no. No, we're, we're above that. We, yeah. we don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I hope at the end of this podcast, hopefully it doesn't take that long, but uh, we realize that we're all in the same boat that, together. Exactly. Unless you're supreme. <laughs> if, if you're out there and you're supreme, yeah, you should stop listening. It's only going right. to get worse. <laughs> Or use that privilege to, to, to right exactly to, yeah to to spread the word. Uh, but Dick Gregory's doing such a great job. Let him let's let let's let him continue. Cause the answer is in the name, huh? The state of my children. That's one of the richest men in the world. They don't have to ask why it's in what I told them, huh? In what I told them, Queen Elizabeth. See, white ain't a color. Most of y'all ain't never met a white person. White person ain't never met a white person. White's not a color, it's an attitude. And if you ain't got trillions of dollars in the bank, you can't have the attitude. <laughs> Here's the thing. I've actually mm -hmm. met her. I really? Met, yeah, I met the queen, yes. I met her at the palace. You didn't know that? I did not. I learned something new every show. Wow. Yeah, they, they picked me up, and uh, they actually, if you look at you know Buckingham Palace, uh, right through the front gates. And now it was not the only person. It was for mm -hmm. it was for the relaunch of her Royal Highness's website. But still, it was it was only like a handful. It wasn't you know, it wasn't like hundreds of people. And I was in the line, and yeah, uh, and I said hi, and I and I had already. Decided I was going to look her straight in the eye, and I was not going to bow. Or, now, now she's standing on a box because she's four mm -hmm. feet nine or something. And and I shake her hand, it's glove, and I look her in the eye, and you know what I saw? Slits. <laughs> nothing, man. <laughs> Dark, just nothing, <laughs> nothing at all. I was looking to see if the eyes would like go reptile, but they didn't. That's why I was saying slits. No, yeah. I know, I know, I know what you're saying. For the for the people out there, that don't, don't know. <laughs> Um, so, so you're one of the few people that actually met a real white person an actual white person yes and uh severely uh unimpressive to be honest i mean i, I don't want to insult anybody but i mm -hmm. wasn't like whoo this got some sheen i mean 
I'm at Steve Jobs, uh, Quincy Jones. I put those way higher on the list than the, than the Queen. Now I'm about to blow your mind here. All right. You could tell that story in a different way and use your proximity to whiteness to become supreme. Well, to use the privilege, and I can use now, it now. So now wait, oh no! I can, so I can say yes, and I deserve that privilege. I'm going to put yes, you in I, your place. <laughs> okay. This is an unexpected twist. All right. I'm ready. So now we're starting to get the people use these terms. Do it. Not white fragility. That was made up. But um, white privilege, white supremacy, these things do exist, but people don't have them. We're accusing the wrong people of having it. That That's the real problem. And right. if we accuse the right people, then we could get the those people out of power, and we could and make the world make, a better place. Yeah, exactly. So we have uh, Mr. D. Ray McKesson from Black Lives Matter and ah, yes. Little Blue Vest fa- uh, fame. Um, he's gonna give his take on whiteness, white supremacy, and privilege. What's the difference between whiteness and white supremacy? The white supremacy is a system that says that white people are the, are the norm, are normative, are worth more, and are valued at the expense of others. And we think about a culture that that idea spawns, that is whiteness. And then we think like, about white people as people who benefit from uh, the system of white supremacy, whether they participate in it actively or not. And part of this work is about helping people understand that uh, allies and accomplices are people who like understand the work, they understand that there's like an issue, uh, and understanding white privilege says that I get that I participate in a dominant culture and I benefit from a system of white supremacy, whether I've done something supremacist or not. And that is like a personal recognition. Right. He, he has it all wrong. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. Mm. I, that's why I wanted to play these two clips back to black, uh, back to back. So you could hear. One guy say, most white people don't know a white person. And this guy said, oh, it's the norm. No, it's not. That's what make no, no, it's not the norm uh, in the sense of how he's saying it. That's what makes so, them special. That's what makes people curtsy and not yes, touch them. Yes, yes. Thank you. Th- you've just answered one of my biggest questions. <laughs> I did not expect this. One of my big questions, having lived in the Netherlands, the kingdom of the Netherlands, having lived in the kingdom, the United Kingdom of the Queens and Elizabeths and all that, I've always wondered, why do seemingly rational people who have, who speak of science and, you know, hate, you know, billionaires and all, why do they kowtow to these ugly people who live in the biggest houses in the middle of your cities with funny hats and say, oh, it's just tradition. Because they truly are the privilege. They are the supreme white beings. Thank and you. Why are that? why are they the privilege? The blood. The blood. The lineage. Yep. That's right. That's what you're respecting. That's right. And, and they and thank you again. I got to remember this. You're respecting the bloodline, and then mm-hmm. I can, and I always can throw in of the lizard people or whatever. I I can say Illuminati or I could throw in something else. <laughs> but yeah, they, and yeah, yes. 
Thank you, Mo. And, this, and this so what people great. do is they say, well, I kind of look like them. So therefore, uh, you must be just like them. And as we know, my personal experience is these people are nothing like us. Mm-hmm. Not like me and not like you. And they'll tell you that. Oh, yeah. They'll make sure you know just the way they treat Don't you. Don't touch me. Yep. Don't touch. Just imagine a human being is like, no, you cannot touch me. Yeah, that's the ultimate privilege. It's like you don't even you gonna hand me something, put a glove on that nasty uh commoner <laughs> hand of yours. <laughs> commoner, yes, nice. Wow. All right. So then, what happened, so, man? When how? I guess they were really smart, and they said, "Hey, I know." Well, that's kind of what that previous clip said. I know mm-hmm. we'll be able to operate uh out in the open, full secret out in the open, by making everybody else white. And let's bring it to modern day times when you have this hodgepodge of different shades of brown people. Mm-hmm. See, they would love to say brown Let's just people, call them they, black. <laughs> oh, no, they can't say that. Colored people. They can't say black. They can't say brown because these things mean something. We can say so they need to people. come up with a term to create a, a political majority. That's what they said. The reason why they uh, brought a lot of the immigrants in, the yeah. uh, European yeah. immigrants in. Yeah. We're doing the same thing. It's, it's the just, left is just repeating what happened on, on, uh, in, in previous history. That's, mm-hmm. that's all we're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's let uh, D Ray make uh, Kesson finish up. Uh, we want people to take that personal recognition a, a step further and say, like, what are the systemic things that actually create this privilege in the first place? And we want them to fight at that level. That's what accomplices do. But I wanted to, you know, I tweet a lot this phrase, watch whiteness work. So if you were to just summarize in like a sentence, what is your message to the white community and white people? White people got to organize themselves, uh, have to join solidarity work with people of color uh, and have to use personal experiences to think about how systems allow privilege to manifest at the personal level yeah why would they want to do that <laughs> it makes no sense wow he's, true true white people well, true white well, he's, we're talking about true he's, white people yeah but d ray mckesson is clearly a, a white supremacist he's in he's on the game by him. He's, he's in on the game he's funded by a white person uh soros yeah there you go that's what i'm saying it's obvious. So this is, yeah, this is just he's propped up to say, oh yeah, we're doing something. Yeah. Uh, but they know it's not going to be effective. But it's like we have to do something. So I, I know we're everybody's saying, well, I thought we were going to talk about white fragility. Yeah, we, we that's what we're talking about now. But I'm, we I'm, just have I, to. I'm not complaining. I'm having a good time. Now, I'm liking it. Yeah, I'm just saying we have to lay out the term one white. It's two words: white and then fragility. Mm-hmm. So we define the white part. Yes, got <laughs> or, it. Got or it. Or demystified it because people use that term completely wrong. Mm. Uh, but now we're going to get into the fragility part. All right. So I was listening to one of my favorite uh, YouTube channels, Essence, <laughs> and uh, they had a thing about fighting racism and white supremacy in the era, uh, Trump era. And they had some tweets that kind of defined what white fragility sounds like. 
specifically asked you on social media, what have your experiences been like when talking to white people about race? And here's what you said. While Raven3 tweeted, often I get called a racist for calling out racial issues, always met with deflection, denial, and defensiveness. Keep it moving 1114 wrote, most tell me slavery is over and why am I still so angry? Some white people don't realize that they still benefit from the wealth of their ancestors. And nay by nature said simply, they just don't get it. Ooh, hmm. Those are some really interesting comments. What do you all? Huh. So these are people interacting with quote unquote white people and they're experiencing the pushback of white fragility against them when they call them out. Mm-hmm. So that's what that's what you just heard. Uh, so now we're going to get into debunking the myths of white people uh, white people tell about race i'll never forget a moment of standing beside a black man leading a workshop on race and a white woman said to him i don't see color he said well then how are you going to see racism because i am black i do think you know that and i have a different experience than you do and you're not going to be able to understand that and you're not going to be able to support the parts of that experience that are really painful and problematic if you refuse to acknowledge my reality i don't see color is really a way of saying i refuse to acknowledge your reality yeah <laughs> well and again i think it's just ignorance that's it. and it's it comes from a defensive uh, uh, you know as a white person amongst white people mm-hmm. you're on the defensive all the time but wouldn't isn't that what dr king was pushing for I, I, i'm i'm not naive but what I'm saying is, if you use the the left rhetoric, and their um, no, of course, the I mean, way it's, they it's use Dr. King yeah. as a control mechanism, we talked yeah. about this on the on the MLK show. Mm-hmm. He's used as a control mechanism, so it's like you know, one world, and we're all want, want to be judged by content in our character and not the color of our skin. So, wouldn't the goal to be not to see color? I would judge you off of who you are, how you talk, how you carry yourself, you know, uh, your, off your capabilities and qualifications. Yeah, well, okay, let me try this one on for size. Okay. Um, because a white person, or just say, you know, a light-skinned person, mm-hmm. see, in the context of what we're talking about, you know, That's what, fine. what we, people we, would call we a, white saying, person, yeah. a white person, a white person. Um. In that context, with Martin Luther King, it, it sounds like it's a good idea. It's like, oh, okay, I heard not by the color of his skin, uh, but by the, the the by his character. And so it's a logical leap, but th- that means that you figured it out, you know. So we had to put you back in your place, Whitey. We got to say, no, 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 you can't figure out that that color doesn't matter. So we got to give you something. This is a long term propaganda of terms you know, where people start using something then we got to push it down again because we found it's i think it's ultimately all about control i totally agree and the control mechanism is we have to keep one group and their victimization mentality and in order to do that you have to lay with them a color them yeah. self-identify as that color 
And then you have to get the white people to buy in and say, no, 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 no. Exactly. You, you cannot not see them as a color right. for this for this scheme to work. That's yeah, so wrong again, Whitey. Mo, yeah, <laughs> Mo, you have to be black. Yeah. By the definition that we label black or a colored person or a colored, however you want to call it. <laughs> and then you have to, Adam, you have to be white. I'm Whitey. And you have to, you have to see the colors. Yes. For this whole, just, we can't come together and have this conversation. No, no, this no, is no, bad. No, no, I got to see it. <laughs> this is bad, I got to constantly bad. be reminded. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's and, and, despicable, really. And even a black friend won't save you. What's important about that narrative is it reveals what the person thinks racism is. So if the person is using proximity, fondness across race as evidence of a lack of racism, in order for that to be good evidence, a racist must not be able to do that. So that rests on an understanding that a racist cannot tolerate proximity to people of color. And I'm hoping that we can see that's pretty absurd because trust me, even avowed racists can tolerate being around people of color and often are <laughs> so here's what i often say okay i said i do a podcast with a black man i mean don't have the camera on or anything but i do the podcast with him mm-hmm. <laughs> this is this is this uh, it's really embarrassing to hear some of this stuff the knots people what? twist themselves in on all sides just to conform with the fucking control mechanism. It's it's mind blowing. I hadn't really thought about it this deeply. Well, I found this interesting uh, product uh, that you can get, uh, Adam, when you find yourself in that situation. Oh, it, it's called racism insurance. Oh, well, this is groovy. <laughs> I can I can I can barely afford health insurance. Now I need racism insurance. Well, there's there's a ISO or a jingle that tells you exactly what that is. Oops, I was raised. This black guy come here. Thank God for racism insurance. There when you need it most. Racism insurance. <laughs> <laughs> when you find yourself in that jam, yeah. that's all you got to do. You it's all right, you so- got <laughs> racism insurance. Uh, have you ever seen Kentucky Fried Movie? No, I haven't. Yeah. You should, if you have a chance, watch that on Netflix one of these days, and then uh, and we should talk about it. Some interesting scenes okay. in there. Yeah, just to remind me of the racism. I don't want to blow the scene, but yeah, right, right, right. But yeah, that's that's when when the black friend won't work. Yeah, go out and run, your, run out and get yourself some racism insurance. Right on. <laughs> <laughs> right on. My racism insurance. <laughs> right. So she goes on to say that it's actually race that divides us. First of all, we're already divided by race. Uh, And focusing on race is is not what did it. I would say not focusing on race, refusing to grapple with how race shapes virtually everything is what keeps us divided. And that is a very white narrative. All of those narratives function to get race off the table, close the exploration, exempt the person from any further engagement, and protect the racial hierarchy and the white position with it, which is an unequal hierarchy. The challenge I want to offer my fellow white people is changing the question from if to how. So dominant culture asks if I'm racist and I want to change that question to how have I been shaped by the forces of racism. 
Oh, now she threw a, a like a, a curveball at the end. I thought it was going to be, how am I racist? But then it was, hold on a second. She said something completely different. I wasn't expecting that. Became a whole exercise. Hold on. Let me see the end here. To how have I been shaped by the forces of racism? How have I been shaped by the forces of racism? Huh? How? Uh, <laughs> translation, how have you been made racist? Oh, by other white people. Yeah. Telling and, me and, so. So I want to make it clear. And and one of these long, I mean, I had to watch so many seminars and retraining, re-education. Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> no, I, I rarely hear you take the Lord's name in vain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Man, I was like, oh, is it going to ever end? I, 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 was thought, I thought I was going to have white uh, fragility there for a minute uh, <laughs> from the re-education that she was doing. I mean, it's sick. I mean, they have these people in these rooms. It's like they, they're a buy-in like. Uh, this, by the way, the I, way. I put a pin in this one. He said, um, I would love to do a show if we can pull it together about training, diversity training, uh, you know, the corporate stuff. It's it, mm-hmm. it, every company has it. And I think there's a lot there that um, could be really good, but a lot mm-hmm. that could be uh, damaging for all. And this is the type of person they would bring in. She wrote a book on it, and this yeah. What was her it, name? I did actually you... watched it. her. Her name is. Uh, why did you have to ask me again? Sorry, uh, D'Angelo. Was, oh, that uh, was the, that was the Robin... same. That was the same woman, Robin D'Angelo. Yes, this, oh, this, okay. This is all Robin. That's Robin all James. her. This uh, is all her. She's a troublemaker. Yeah. So they bring her in, and she does these re-education. Oh, uh, she. Does. <laughs> wow, re-education no, camp. Th- th- Yes, oh, it, great. that's because what she's saying is you what have to identify how you're being made braces, and then we need to rewire you. Basically, that's that's the whole gist of this whole thing. Well, yeah, that's so, that's what the term means, re-education. Sure. Yeah. So of course, I scoured the internet to find the counter argument. And I found uh, Mr. Paul, Dr. Paul Maxwell. Let me give you a little bio on him. Uh, it says, Dr. Um, what Paul Maxwell, PhD, explores the intersection of uh, theology, uh, uh, psychology, uh, and politics. Marketing professional and expert in celebrity franchise, branding, tech, publishing, nonprofit, and higher education. And, he, and and most of all, he's a podcaster. Well, well uh, hello. Now I know who it is. Yeah, sure. <laughs> right. Well, well, when people, when you Google him, mm-hmm. I need to give you this this disclaimer, Doctor Paul Maxwell Zero. Now I'm, you probably think, listen, listen, I'm kind of kind of bald, you know, I kind of look like a skinhead. Like, where's this guy going, right? Like, listen, I'm I'm not about to go on some like white rights pro pro white rant. I'm not okay. Yeah, I, I so I did uh, look him up, and uh, okay, yeah, I can see how you're like. Oh, like, wait what? a minute, what's this guy doing? Yeah, yeah, I, I, just natural reflex. I was like, well, well, let me let me see what. But as I do, I yeah. pay attention to yeah. everything. That was your bias. You were you were yeah. judging by the the thickness of his hair, as usual. Well, no, well, no <laughs> uh, <laughs> the baldness of his scalp. Yeah, uh, oh, to, yes. to be more specific, uh, but. He strike to give a person people a, um, a mental image of who we're talking about before you Google and while you listen to the show. If you ever seen the movie Higher Learning, <laughs> he looks like the character Remy. 
for higher learning, <laughs> which was a skinhead. I, yes. I, I'm just telling yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. Just honest uh, opinion. When I saw him, I was like, okay. But I was like, okay, I'm going to hear this guy out because that's what we do here, right? right we, we, we hear yeah. both sides. And he has a very interesting take on uh, white fragility in 1.1. So we will begin by talking about a particular book. This is a book by sociologist Robin J. D'Angelo, and she writes in her book called White Fragility, Why It's So Hard for White People to Talk About Racism. And she's a white female. And and D'Angelo writes that white people are so dazzled by their whiteness that their own regular, normative, explicit, and implicit reasons for violence against racial minorities are actually camouflaged to them. So they almost can't even conceive of themselves as racist. But not only are these racist practices camouflaged to whites... But when these practices are brought under the stage light through conversation or reading or cultural messaging, and when they are diagnosed or highlighted and challenged by minority culture, such that white culture's enchantment with its own whiteness is threatened, that they resort to denial tactics, which refortify their enchantment with whiteness and center their own whiteness and recenter their own whiteness as the cultural center and the cultural norm and recast minority ethnicity and culture as as marginal and exotic. It makes you sound uh, psychotic, really, if you hear the way it's being explained. Well, they use another word besides psychotic, and we're going to get to that. Um, <clears throat> but I have a question for you, Adam. When's the last time you've been dazzled by your whiteness? Well, let me tell you, Mo. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, no, just today, my wife and I were taking our dancing lesson I looked in the mirror because it's a dance studio, and I thought, uh-huh. "Wow, you dance like a an idiot." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, and of course not dazzled by whiteness. Crap. It, who uses these terms, man? These terms, it, but it's just fascinating. But isn't that just hear- projection? I'm sure. I mean, I see this picture of her. I immediately have all kinds of preconceived notions about her. Uh, I just, I don't like her just the way she looks. It's like one of those people like, uh, okay, one of these troublemaker. I know exactly what you say. mean, when you say one of these, because she is the, and I don't want to use lack of better word, stereotypical, uh, what was her profession? Well, uh, PhD in multicultural education. I was I was like, just about to look her up. I said, I'll bet you it was like political science with a you know with a with a, a diversity uh, minor or something. It's so obvious. Yeah, I mean, just the just the look. I mean, and, and we're not judging people on looks. It's like when you see a person, like oh, yeah, we yeah, are. That yeah, makes we sense. are. It's yeah. what this whole show is sense. about. Of course, we're judging yeah. people on looks. Don't 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 fool yourself. Well, not their see. look, but the the, oh, yeah, the so way you, they fit into a stereotypical role. Yeah, PhD and, 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 and that. in multicultural education from the University of Washington with a dissertation mm-hmm. entitled Whiteness in Racial Dialogue, a Discourse Analysis. Oh, <laughs> okay. All right. So uh, let's just go straight into uh, 1.2. Okay. So in other words, D'Angelo makes two simultaneous claims. One, whites are peculiarly mentally weak, especially when it comes to race. And two, she's able to make individual psychiatric diagnoses of individual whites by using their race as a proxy 
for diagnosis. Three, she is licensing anyone who drinks the Kool-Aid of this white privilege concept to extend that diagnosis to individuals with whom uh, they converse who actually happen to disagree with them about this issue of white fragility or race or white privilege or so on and so forth. <laughs> so, so it's a lose-lose. Yes, of course it is. If you, if it's you a whole point. It, yeah, and and it's one thing I did fail to mention here. Even in her uh, talks or speeches or whatever else, she's not talking to your Trump supporter. Oh no, she's not talking to your idealistic Trump. Let me let me, let me clarify that she's not talking to your what you picture in your mind. You would think like somebody with a MAGA hat on. No, quite I'm the opposite. No, she's you're, you're, talking to liberals. Thank you. Your Elizabeth Warren voter, your Bernie voter, your uh, mm-hmm. your Pete Buttigieg voter, and yes, your Biden voter. Sure. Yeah, so that's who she's talking about because she's saying, "Oh, y'all," and she even said it in one of her. It was unclippable because I would have brought it if it was, but it was like in a roundabout way. She was like. You guys are really the biggest problem because you say you don't have it. Right. I, I got I have black friends. I live in proximity to what? black people. You, so what? What? Did <laughs> you racist? Right. You? What are you even thinking of saying? <laughs> right. Right. So oh, that's who she's talking to. That's her audience. It's it, this is not you know she's not going to uh, middle America with this conversation. She she's well well hold on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I put this in the show notes. Um, she did for the University of Kentucky. That's the South. Mm-hmm. A um, two-hour racial justice keynote and breakout session in March of 2019, uh, excluding uh, travel expenses, housing accommodations, and meals. She also got $12,000. So... Maybe we shouldn't mock this uh, too much, and we should see, figure out how we can get in on it. I'm thinking all of, money ain't good money. I think <laughs> a racial justice podcast with breakout session. I mean, we'll come up with something, Mo. I think right. we can. Oh wait, maybe people could consider donating to the show. See, and I'll just do it here since we're talking uh-huh. anyway. And we're going to start thanking people uh, next show. Will be. Uh, the PLS, yes, the, pot, yes. the potluck special, and uh, we're going to thank uh, people. But this is going to be uh, a show with uh, different, shorter topics, and this is going to we're going to do those from time to time. And so we're going to try something out, similar to the, the how the first segment of the show was. Uh, yes, these many, yes, yes. diverse uh, topics, and we'll have yes. three or four to five topics. How many ever to fit in together? It won't be one long stream of consciousness it'll be uh segmented and and that point and it's my fault people i see your uh donations we much appreciate them but me being the anal perfect perfectionist that i am i haven't found a great way of introducing that segment into the show but we appreciate all the value we get and please hit me on social media uh uh, in the DMs if you've donated or if you haven't donated and I like to have the conversation and the pushback because I get a lot of uh, questions and uh, things that challenge me to think so I really appreciate it and this is running under the value for value model and uh, here you go it's uh, if 
if we were taking our exact knowledge, changing a little bit, but even the stuff we're talking about right now, that's worth $12,000 for two hours, excluding travel mm-hmm. expenses. So uh, <laughs> we expect to receive at least that. <laughs> Go to uh, mofundme.com, M-O-E-F-U-N-D.com. No, seriously, it's whatever value you place on it. If you thought it was valuable. And we'll throw in two volts, too. yeah whatever (laughs) send us a grand we'll vote for your guy or your gal or whatever your thing whatever this is right we're not embarrassed hey vermin supreme's been my guy vermin supreme is my guy uh all right so let's uh continue i'm sorry all right let's get back on no that that was perfect timing but let's just get back on track and you made a claim that you said it makes you seem what way uh, psychotic? Yeah, psychotic or egomaniac, maybe. That's not necessarily the word they Paul uses, but let's let's listen to him. So she argues that white people are so socialized by their whiteness that they cannot, without proper racial education and re-education, accurately perceive the extent to which their racist prejudice against minorities is baked into their own worldview. Okay, White people are, in this presentation, philosophically and specularly handicapped by their own race about their own race. Okay, so D'Angelo appeals to her own academic authority as a sociologist to fortify this claim that whites are epistemologically handicapped relative to other races. And it is on this assumption of white philosophical short-sightedness or handicap that programs such as racial bias training and implicit bias training have been suggested as cures (laughs) to perceived racism among whites. Yes, it's very similar, as I was thinking about this, to something uh, known as the self-hating, the self-loathing Jew. Mm -hmm. Very similar in uh, definition. But you're missing the opportunity here. Uh Uh-oh. Adam. Yes. You get another merit badge. Oh, of course. You're handicapped. Ah, (laughs) wow. According to this, this is a disability. So I mean, you move up on the ladder if which, you accept it. Which by which by itself, in an odd way, is again advancing the white man over everybody else. Even even <laughs> even as a victim, I'm a better victim than you. <laughs> You've just realized the whole. I'm oh glad you walked right into that realization without me even having to say it. Well, you know, I had the goggles off. Right now, no, you justified what they're doing is. Excuse my white privilege because I have a disability. <laughs> this is fucking crazy. <laughs> okay, I love. I'm going to use that too. I'm so sorry. I have a disability. <laughs> I have white privilege. Can no, I- no, your disability is the white fragility. No, of course, of course. So when people say, "Oh yeah, you have uh, white, uh, white so privilege," let's go, let's go this again, Adam. Do you realize you have white privilege? I don't have white privilege. Oh, white... you're showing signs of white fragility, Adam. I know. I'm so sad about this status. I can't even do it. Yeah, I'm disabled. I'm disabled. <laughs> I need. Yeah. I need a parking sticker <laughs> for the handicap zone. I'm sorry, disabled. Disabled. <laughs> yeah, but no, no. This. What I'm saying, this is how sick yeah. 
It is. That they can just label whatever. And we're, we're, we're saying this in jest, but it's a really, it's a sign of sickness what they're what she's yeah. doing here to say oh I, I i know my privilege but you know and I, I might get irked if you remind me of it but that's a disability <sighs> isn't it great <laughs> I, I was sitting back like wow you just what <laughs> what you think i i'm i'm a low information voter mo just let me <laughs> lead me along all white i'll go right to the water <laughs> Right, so now, so now you can go get your uh, my badge. Yeah, you can get your badge and your and your sticker. <laughs> I mean, there you go. Yes, but I, I'm making that analogy because to say that to somebody that actually has a real problem yeah. that really has a, a disability, yeah, it's incredible. How, how, how insulting! Insulting is that? Mm-hmm. Uh, it irks. It irks me. But I, I, I didn't you know, want- but you know what it is? It's a version of it, and I haven't fleshed it out yet, but emotional mm-hmm. support animals has something to do with this somehow <laughs> versus real uh, specialized uh, and dogs that do it's exactly it's exactly what it is. And people take advantage of that. And so they're they're literally using their uh, bullshit emotional support. And I'm um, look, if people have a, real emotional problems, some of them have animals for that. They're trained specifically. Mm-hmm. It's uh, ADA compliant. I, I've studied this from backwards and forwards. But no, no, no. I have emotional problems. Here's my dog. Uh, and now I get to board early and take my dog with me. <sighs> that's, the, that's the exact manif- manifestation wow, wow, of wow, this wow, 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 wow. mentality. Yeah. So I'm guessing you're asking, well, how do you spot white fragility and is there a cure? Programs such as racial bias training and implicit bias training have been suggested as cures to perceived racism among whites. And this is how scientists have begun to quantify racial prejudice among whites to give them a test that shows them several dozen black and white images (laughs) of faces of various races on the screen, right? And classified an ability to distinguish between the faces of participants' own race versus faces of races to, uh, to which the participant did belong okay so any extended delay in the participants ability to distinguish between other race faces was classified as social stereotype and therefore a low score on what they called the affective lexical priming score so in other words if you're a few milliseconds slow on distinguishing black faces from one another you're racist okay (laughs) (laughs) oh man uh, well, you know that AI is completely racist. All the algorithms have trouble with black faces, dark skin tone. So it's all racist. Racist computers. So I'm sure you're wondering, what is implicit bias testing? Well, oh, yes. Believe me, I want to know. So... I had to do some digging. I had to go real deep. And I found this Dateline NBC episode from 2007. Nice. This is how old this thing is. And it's implicit just, uh, association. Now wait, do, you, do, you think, do you think this was being released around the time that uh, Barack Obama was uh, running for president, I guess? Just for context. Just for I, context. Think there's a, I think there's a correlation there, sir. Okay. All right. 
So implicit association test one. You may be saying, not me, I'm not prejudiced. But is it possible that virtually all of us have a hidden racial bias, hidden even from ourselves? That's exactly what this test is designed to uncover. Here's how it works. These words and faces appear rapidly, one after another, around the screen. The test taker is supposed to link each one to the left or right box here in the center, linking positive words like friend to good. Negative words like awful to bad. White faces with white. Black faces with black. And it's the mistakes that are so revealing. Oh, I, I had another thought while this was going. Mm-hmm. I'll just tell you because it just came out. This show, and I don't know, we'll make, who knows how many we'll make. But up until now, you could take these 24 episodes bundle them, nice leather binder, you know, gold mm-hmm. inlay, and sell them as educational courses. I'm thinking, you know, if you really want to know about racism, white supremacy, listen to this, kids. And uh, put the kids in the classroom, let them listen. Then uh, I'd say, you know, a thousand bucks a school. I think it'd be far more effective <laughs> than whatever this, yeah, whatever this, this crap is. On them now. <laughs> yes, sirree. So... Nuts. When I saw this segment, a connective happening happening in my brain. Have you heard of the show Watchmen on HBO? Yes, uh, I I I started it started a while ago. I remember watching the first mm-hmm. episode, and at that moment, I was I was just like, "This is just too stressful for me. I'll come back to it later." And I haven't gotten back to it, but I, I have heard people Great. You ranting. You saw the first rage. episode. I did, yeah. You saw if you saw the first episode, you saw a dramatization of the implicit bias testing. And this is probably why it bothered me, Mo. I mean, I hadn't even thought about it that way. You remember when the guy with the mirror mask? Yes. Took the white supremacists in the pod, and they had the pictures flashing. Yeah, 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 yes, yes, yes. That was a dramatization of the implicit bias test. Oh, my God. They're feeding this stuff into... into right, they're mainlining it, man. Right into, yes. right into your brain, right into the cranium. So let me set, let me, let me, let me, let me back up a little bit. Now so I have to people. watch this so, piece of shit. Thanks. Yeah, so Watchmen uh, in the show... They had had this terrorist attack or whatever, and they rounded right. up all these supposed white supremacists, and they put them in this like circle room. Right. And on the walls, they're showing all these polarizing racial images, and the guys asking this guy questions like, "Are you a racist? Are you right. a white supremacist? Are you a member of like I forgot the name of the group Seventh Cavalry or whatever, which is like basically the KKK." Right. And like he's taking notes while he's asking these questions. That's basically how implicit bias testing works uh, in a roundabout way. But when I saw when I saw this Dateline NBC special, that's when you put my it all brain together. went there, wow. and I'm like, "Holy shit!" Yeah, like excuse my language, but yeah, I'm like, "Wow!" Like they're pumping this stuff into entertainment. Well, you know what's interesting, and what I'm very, what you can be very proud of, we both can be proud of, is mm-hmm. that my response was of rejection. And I don't know what else was going on, but I sat down specifically to watch it. And I, I have time sometimes during the day. You know, like I'm going to watch mm-hmm. an hour or something. 
And, um, and I remember turning it on and it was, I, I, that was my thought. It's stressful. And, you know, I wasn't completely into the story, but I think because of this podcast and my outlook, my outlook in general, but this podcast definitely has given me some kind of weaponry against this propaganda. I, I rejected it out of hand and hadn't gone back to it. Now, of course, I have to watch the whole thing, uh, the whole series. But that I didn't is, see the whole series. But that I didn't is, a, see. I mean, oh no! I'm, now let me do it. I'll jump yeah. on that grenade. Okay, <laughs> thank you. Because it was, it was like, oh, you're trying to prod me and <clears throat> yep. mani- manipulate me, and I don't do the. Uh, uh, trauma-based entertainment. Nope, but nope. the only reason I watched it, I watched it because one, it was free HBO that weekend, <laughs> and two, somebody, <laughs> and two, somebody had. Uh, this is how the DMs work, and I, I implore people, please reach out to me on social media because I, I love that back and forth. I can't promise you a two-hour conversation, right. but interesting. Just a couple of, just a couple back and forth. It was just. Somebody said, "Go ahead, go ahead." No, no, please. No, somebody said you need to watch Watchmen because they talk about Tulsa and uh, right. the, Tulsa, the bombing uh, right. back when right. Black, Black Wall Street. So that's what drew me in. I was like, I want to see how they how they use this historical right, right. event. You know, and, and I, I was not, you know, I was not uh, right, surprised I, how they propagandized it. But I want to share this. Just, anec- want to share this anecdote about Watchmen. Go ahead. I was in the bookstore, and it's a very good bookstore that we have here in Austin. It's a, uh, it's called uh, Goodreads. I think is it Goodreads? No, not Goodreads. That's Austin bookstore. I don't know. It's a, it's next to Whole Foods, people. And uh, so I'm in there, and I'm looking for something that wasn't for a gift. And I, um, and I hear this couple, young couple, so you know, probably early mid twenties. And he says, did you hear that they're not going to come back with another series of Watchmen? And she was like, oh, my God, that's why, 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 why? He's like, well, the producer, blah, blah, blah. And I heard this, and I was like, wow, that sounds like a show I absolutely don't want to watch if these two dickheads are are so upset about it being canceled. I mean, it sounds horrible. And now I understand these were the zombies. The programmed zombies were there. Lucky that they didn't scratch me. They were right there. Mm Mm-hmm. They almost got you. Yeah, this <laughs> this is really good. All right, all right, all right. That's a, so let's get, a lot of sidetracking, but worth it. Thank you. Because it, it, yeah, it was just I wanted to point that out how they feed this stuff into uh, pop culture. But let's get back to implicit test two. Dateline put this experiment to a difficult challenge, testing a cross-section of men and women, including some who have impeccable credentials in race relations. People like Rhonda, a civil rights attorney. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, here it is. During the first half of the test, black is linked to bad and white is linked to good. Right. For left, Rhonda, left, this half of the left, test is a breeze. Right, she right, never makes right, a mistake. Left. Okay, very good. Now, we'll give you the other one. Okay. But let's see how she does when the information is reversed. When the left box, marked bad, has a white face, and the right box, labeled good, has a black face. Left, left. Suddenly, right, the test right, becomes much more right, difficult left, for Rhonda. About a third left, of the way through, right, she makes right. a mistake, linking the white face to the right box, even though that shows a black face. 
I lost it. Okay. <laughs> Rhonda's score indicates a strong okay. preference for white. There it is. Is this because she unconsciously associates white with good? Oh, wow. And that's the basis of your test, right? I wonder what the science is, the neuroscience is behind that. Wow. Okay. So they just yeah. flash the pictures, good, bad, and then they do a reverse order. Oh, you missed one. Racist. Right. And and Rhonda was, she was distraught. She's like, oh my God. I can't like, believe uh, I'm a racist. I can't believe I, I thought black was bad. And, <laughs> And there's your exit strategy right there, Adam. Instead of your app, yeah, implicit bias app. It's like... <laughs> yeah, it's just like, flash uh, it's that like, shit uh, in Tinder. front of your... Yeah, oh, right. oh like t- with the Tinder element. I like it, Mo. I like it. All right, let's 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 finish the show up so we can start working on the design. Was- All right. <laughs> implicit test three. <laughs> and as revealing as those results are, the biggest surprise is yet to come. Left, left. Joan is a sales and marketing consultant. Even for many black test takers, the more challenging part of the test seems to be when black is associated with good and white with bad. Okay, didn't get halfway through. We'll start over. Okay. Uh-huh. Ready, set. After two attempts, she still can't make it to the end. I've done it again. Even so, Joan still thought she'd show a preference for her own race. Would you be surprised then, Joan, if I said that your test showed a slight preference for whites? Yes, I would be. Does it shock you? Yes. I... (laughs) You're flabbergasted. I'm flabbergasted. And Joan isn't alone. Dennis is the leader of a civil rights organization. According to his test in the studio, Dennis is neutral. But his individual computer test showed a preference for white. His response? All we had in images were white uh, through the type of media outlets that we were exposed to during my age generation. Uh, And that was a constant reinforcement over and over again. Mm, You're a bad person. So, so even even the black people are racist. Like, what kind of test is this? <laughs> <laughs> it's because well, it's because of the 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 white supremacist television. Of course, of course, exactly what it is. It, it's not that the test can be maybe confusing. So he's uh, a racist black man, but is also uh, has a, he's disabled because it was the fault of the white supremacist media. That mm-hmm. made him that way. That's if you lean into the victimization mentality. So yeah. you have to accept it. Yep. Yeah. Accept, accept if you if you accept that victimization mentality, which I'm not poo pooing the power of propaganda. Mm-mm. But if you can, if propaganda can make you unlearn what you know, what you experience, that's some powerful stuff, man. <sighs> You're not kidding me. I mean, because you you don't have the excuse of, quote unquote, white people say, well, I don't know any black people. So maybe the news is telling the truth. Maybe the TV is telling the truth. You live and experience black people every day. So either we have to have it one way. Either mass media is running this super powerful propaganda machine that nobody's immune to. Or you have to accept the victimization mentality. So which one is it? But it's got to be one or the other. Right. So uh, it gets even more interesting <laughs> oh, in test four. 
Of the African Americans the professors have tested, 42% show a preference for whites. A large number, especially when you consider that only 17% of whites show a preference for blacks. Go. Left. Right. And what of the other African Americans we tested? Right. Heather is an assistant district attorney. Right. On the part of the test where the black face is paired with the word bad, Heather has noticeable difficulty and can't finish. She showed a strong preference for African Americans, and her pride was unabashed. This made me feel more comfortable knowing that I've embraced my culture. Left. Randolph, a high school music teacher, also showed a preference for his own race. Does it concern you at all that you have a strong preference for African Americans? Does that score mean that I do not like European Americans? No. Is my subconscious aware of the condition that uh, African Americans are in in this country at this particular point? My conscious is. Does it concern you? Does it concern you, sir? Does it concern you that you could possibly, you know, you know what I'm saying, right? Does it concern you that you're you're like yourself? Right. And people that happen to look like you. (laughs) Do you have more? Which now, now, under the definition of nepotism, right? That definition again. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a preference for people that look like you? That's a problem. In these people's eyes, that's a no, 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 no. You, you know, you can't. No. <laughs> what a, is this multi-layered trap? This is great. Well, you can't. It's a it's labyrinth. Yeah, labyrinth. You, yeah, exactly. You, you can't escape. You, I mean, whatever turn you run into is a dead end. It's like oh, racist, racist, or you're, or, or you're, you know, have a self-identity problems, which were called by the racist television. So it's like you never, it, white or black, you can never escape. Uh, having free thought, you know, it, that's not an option. It's like it has to be a reason behind why you feel the way you feel, and, and being a free thinker, that's that's totally bad. <laughs> this is verboten. We can't have that. You can't have that free thinking. No. Uh, but let's wrap up with this uh, Dateline NBC on Test 5. All right, I'm going to pass this one. I, I think I can do this. Doesn't the professors you. note that there's a difference in reactions between blacks and whites when they find you, out they have a preference for their you. own race. Of course it bothers me. but You I could it say it's pride yeah. or prejudice. What blacks consider a badge of healthy self-esteem, many whites regard as an embarrassing revelation. Yeah, exactly. And that's the, that's the way it's designed. Mm-hmm. So uh, you can't escape it. <laughs> can I can I can I play a little uh, a little NA jingle here that's appropriate to uh because a lot of people may not have heard this one and it'd be fun to play. Please, it's please, just, please, just, please. Just, it's just a shorty. If you're white, you're a racist. If you're male, you're a pig. If you're cis, you are privileged. Skin is shaving if you're big. And if you stretch your homophobic, heaven help if you're wrong. So don't have an opinion and just do what you're told. There you go, everybody. Do what you're told. <laughs> the great secret agent, Paul. <laughs> just do what you're told. Do what you're told. That's exactly it. And it, it, for all those categories, I mean, we're talking about uh, skin color right now. Uh, of course, that's part of the conversation, but there's a lot of it. Sexuality, uh, mm-hmm. the gender, all of it's in there. 
control. So I don't like to be part of the problem. I like to be more of part of the solution. Yes. We always love that. And so what I did was I dug and dug and dug and I found this training video Mm -hmm. of how to deal with white fragility in the workplace. Okay. Hey, Jen, I really like your hair. (laughs) Thanks, Becky. I think the curls are awesome. (laughs) The girl's name is literally (laughs) Becky. (laughs) Okay, let's try it again. Hey, Jen, I really like your hair. Thanks, Becky. I think the curls are awesome. Black hair's the best. Ah, Can you not do that? It's kind of inappropriate. What? Why? Well, it's kind of racist. Whoa! You're probably wondering what went wrong in this workplace interaction between Becky and Jen. Unless you have a keen understanding of racial discrimination in today's workforce, you probably didn't notice that something very offensive has taken place. Jen called Becky the R word, causing Becky to feel shame and sadness. How can we avoid situations like this? Whoa! Wait a minute. That's also a hijack of the R word. That's not okay. I want the the OG R word is now gone. We can't even use that anymore now. Uh. So Uh. let's continue on because this is a very informative uh, training video. Now you said you said you were trying to be part of the solution, and you give me this. Yes, because we're, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna fix people. We're, okay. we're, we're here to re-educate. Uh, ah, yes, re-education. Yes, yes. Um, workplace two. Workplace discrimination is a very serious issue, and we have to be sensitive to our employees' different ethnic and cultural backgrounds. And just as it's important to be sensitive to our black, Arab, and other non-white coworkers, it's also equally important to be sensitive to our white coworkers' sensitivity to that sensitivity. I got to stop. I got to listen to that again. (laughs) Important to be sensitive to our black, Arab, and other non-white co-workers. It's also equally important to be sensitive to our white co-workers' sensitivity. You know, we have to be sensitive for the white co-workers' sensitivity. Okay, I'm just taking notes. (laughs) To that sensitivity. Whoa, whoa, shoot. Wait a minute. I'm sorry. There's three sensitivities. Let's do it again. Equally important to be sensitive to our white co-workers' sensitivity to that sensitivity. The (laughs) We have... (laughs) Okay, to be sensitive... To the white person's sensitivity to their sensitivity. Yes. No wonder kids are on antidepressants. Can you believe that Trump wants to build a wall? I mean, I must really bother you as a Mexican. Actually, I am Bolivian. How dare you? I went to Berkeley. Sometimes racial discrimination in the workplace can happen unintentionally. Take, for instance, this scene where Marco accidentally angered Tom by correcting him. Marco may not be Mexican, but correcting Tom in that manner made Tom confused, scared, and hostile. This situation could have been avoided altogether. Let's see how. Oh, oh boy. I'm so happy we're going to find out how. Uh, gee. 2.1. 2.1. Oh my goodness. This is, this is, uh, you, it's, uh, I'm trying to process it all. It's very, you've already, you had advantage here. You've heard all this once before or multiple times. Okay. I just want to process that one. You know, um, 
Professor Ted Kaczynski wrote in his uh, famous manuscript, uh, Industrial Society and Its Future. He's a Harvard professor. You can look him up. You'll be amazed when you learn about him. He wrote that one of the problems of technology in the future would be over-socialization of children. And Mm -hmm. what I just heard, going back to the previous clip, with the sensitive to the sensitivity about that sensitivity, Mm -hmm. that is over-socialization right there. You're so because you're socialized and you you have to be so sensitive to everything and to everybody that your brain is, you know, has like is running at just 3000 RPM all the time just to just to process all the information. And it makes you tired. It does. And probably depressed. All right. Okay. Yes. I'm sorry. I will go to the next one so we can continue and learn about this. I'm I'm fascinated how I can fix uh, fix myself. Can you believe Trump what? wants to build a wall? I mean, that must really bother you as a Mexican. Um. Yeah. I love Mexicans. They're so hardworking. Yeah. They. I mean. Yes. We are. We are great. Viva la Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> go. Ah! Crisis averted. What? What? Are you kidding me? That's how you feel. <laughs> Viva Mexico. <laughs> Crisis averted, everybody. Wow. All right. Uh, part what, three. What is this from? Uh, where, where did this come from? This is from uh, is this uh, a joke? Al Jazeera Plus. This, this is serious. No. Thank God. <laughs> She's like... <laughs> Who knows, man? This this could be well, played it, in schools for all I know. <laughs> there's, there's a reason to my madness. No, I understand. Let's continue. All right. Every day we learn more about how people of color live with histories of oppression. And every day we forget about those who also live with those histories. The oppressors. You see, the average person of color has spent years developing a thick skin when it comes to systemic racial oppression, while the average white person can go through many of their formative years without ever having to think about race. So hearing about racism can be traumatic for your white co-workers and create a negative work environment. White privilege might seem like everything is easier all the time. And it is. But it can also be hard because feelings are hard. <laughs> this, is, this is genius. This is very good. I like it. <sighs> so this goes back to what we talked talked about. We're dealing with people, not my words. White fragility is a disability. So <sighs> if you take this literally, it's on the onus of the person that's not disabled. To make the environment more uh, palatable and uh, yes, to the person with the disability, yes, unless unless, so, unless they have one leg, then I don't know if that wins. What, but what I'm just saying is, in this, it, this is a spoof, but it's but not you, that far from reality. If you take it literal, that the people that you're dealing with are actually dealing with a illness. Well, then Mo, it's on you to Mo, that, provide that first <laughs> clip had me totally hooked. I thought it was totally real. It could be. Yes. It, this, this is the dimension thing. Mm, 
Wow. You were you were in one dimension. Yep, I sure was. I looking at right it. In. That's why I didn't say anything. You were in one dimension looking at it. So you're like, this seems real. Totally real. Which it is if you take this turn white fragility serious on its own merit. Yeah. <sighs> you tricked me, Mo. Well, that was good. That's very good. Well, let's get into the solution. <laughs> yeah. Woo. I can't wait. Being sensitive to white fragility is difficult, which is why we've devised a simple system to help you foster a non-hostile work environment for your white employees and co-workers. Stop. Ignore. Listen. Empathize. Never complain. And eat. What? Or as we like to call it, the silence system. Here, silence. let's watch what happens when silence is put into action. <laughs> That's your solution. A silence. Silence. <laughs> Adam, would you care to see silence in action? I would love to see some silence in action, Mo. 4.1. So I'm not racist. Stop. Like, I voted for Obama. Ignore. Like, I understand the reason for the Black Lives Matter movement. Listen. But it's just like, all lives do matter. Empathize. I just feel like race really isn't relevant in America anymore. <laughs> Never complain. You're really easy to talk to, Adrian. And eat. That's right. <laughs> Excellent. Adrian was able to defuse a potentially hostile work situation by using silence. Great work, Adrian. America is a beautiful country built on some ugly things. <laughs> things that just don't belong in the workplace. And in order to remain productive, we must all pitch in to protect our most powerful and most fragile. Because when silence works, everyone works. So let's all be sensitive. White sensitive. <laughs> very good. Very, very, very good. Now, there, well, there you have it. <laughs> that is a, uh, the wrap-up of White Fragility. Yeah, the excellent uh, Mo. Uh, thank, <laughs> thank you. You helped a lot. I'm going to have to review this uh, for myself, uh, particularly the fact that. Um, well, th th this is the bottom line. My takeaway: Let's get together, brothers and sisters of all human resources, and fight the real power, the true supremacy, the bloodlines, who obviously mm -hmm. are. Uh, have figured out through media how to keep us enslaving ourselves. It's a fantastic system. It works. It just it works like a mofo. It's fantastic. Now, of course, inherently, people who probably listen to this podcast already uh, have some uh, armor against this. But it's what a what a fantastic. Uh, way to unpack it. Thank you, Mo. I, I really appreciate it. I always do, but this is another one of those. I'm like, oh, I'm going to go downstairs tell Tina, like, oh, man, you're just going to can <laughs> you're gonna cancel work. You got to listen to this. She only has a 10-minute commute now, so it's a problem. <laughs> um, oh, man, it sucks. <laughs> it does. I know. <laughs> I hate my commute. It's too short. Uh, <laughs> this is the kind of uh, value that we love to bring to you. Uh, please consider sending some monetary value uh use a number that means something to you write us a note 
Uh, we're going to be uh, talking about some of those on the next episode, 25. And mm-hmm. you can find us at mofax.com uh, to go directly to the donation page, mofundme.com, M-O-E-F-U-N-D.com. And as I always say, pay attention to everything and the truth will reveal itself. And the truth will re- reveal itself tomorrow. Tomorrow. Will reveal itself next week. I can't wait. That's why I wanted it for tomorrow. Take, <laughs> take care, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Knowing that your door is always open And your path is That makes me know that I can leave My sleeping bag behind your car Thank you.